Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. rabbi. One of the changes, you could say, innovations in modern American football is that a team can challenge a call that was made by a referee. Meaning, when something technical has happened, like, did the person actually catch the ball? Was the person across a certain line at a certain point with the football? And the referees in real time make a call. And it could be that the coach of one of the teams could challenge that call. And they do so by dropping a red flag that they have. And at that point, play stops and the referees look into this little television box and they watch that play from one or several or many different angles in very slow motion. And by doing so, they are able to ascertain whether or not that person did in fact catch the ball or whether or not they were able to cross a certain line at a certain point at which point they will render a decision, they will tell everyone what happened, whether the challenge was successful or not. The insurance company, Progressive Insurance, cleverly mimics this phenomenon in their commercials by presenting a case, an interaction between two people, maybe their roommates, maybe their friends, maybe they're married, parents, children, bosses, etc., Someone claims that X or Y happened. For example, there is a couple that is on a camping trip or a kayaking trip, and partner A says to partner B, hey, did you pack the life vests? And partner B says, no, I told you to pack the life vests. And that first person, partner A, drops the red challenge flag, And they go and look at a video replay of the original conversation. And lo and behold, it is discovered that partner B did not, in fact, say to partner A that partner A should pack the life vests. And now we know that, as it were, the penalty is on partner B for not packing the life vests and also not communicating about it. End of commercial by insurance. Recently, and there is a point to this, by the way, Progressive produced a commercial in which Mother A and Mother B and children of Mother A and children of Mother B are at a bus stop and they're schmoozing. And Mother A says to Mother B, hey, y'all should come over and watch the game later. And Mother B says, oh, that sounds really nice. Thank you so much. And the child of Mother B says, that's not what you told me before, mom. You told me before that you don't want to go to Mother A's house to watch that game. And then Mother B says, no, I didn't say that. And then child drops the red challenge flag and they watch the video. And lo and behold, it is revealed that in fact, Mother B said to her children, I do not want to go to Mother A's house to watch that game. Mother B is embarrassed. Commercial is over. Buy insurance. This commercial drives me crazy.
Aside from playing on this trope of savvy children putting it back onto their parents, it also presents a relationship between a child and a parent in which the child is not only fully able, but also fully willing to completely humiliate and embarrass her mother in public in front of another person. I'm not exactly sure when the parent-child or the child-parent relationship changed. The reality is that relationship does change. At least in the last four or five or six generations, there has been rapid change of that relationship more or less in time with changes in location and migration, moving away from communities in which certain values are held and maintained. Also, in terms of technology, as technology has changed over time, and also in terms of culture, when people watch movies and television shows and commercials that present something similar to that commercial in which there is a know-it-all child who shows their parents to be less intelligent than they are and does so in public in a way that makes that parent embarrassed. These can have an effect on children and on parents. A child who sees that commercial could feel ennobled by it. They could feel inspired. I don't think that any one particular child sees that commercial and intentionally decides to do so to their own parents, but I think it seeps in because over time, with enough similar messaging to that, it becomes acceptable within the mimetic vocabulary of our community and our society that such things are possible and even acceptable or funny, as it were. Part of what makes the Torah so good is that it establishes and maintains certain values and behaviors that remain in place and expected and eternal and even unchanging within an ever-changing society. Torah anchors us in eternal values that transcend the changes that are expressed through culture and technology. It provides boundaries and outlines of relationships that allow those relationships to give their best, to provide their most abundant blessing to all the people involved. But it must do so sustainably, by which I mean it must do so in a way that acknowledges and allows for changes in culture and society and technology without losing the essence of the relationship. So when the Torah describes the relationship of children to their parents 
and we find this in the Ten Commandments, number five, it uses the word kavod, honor. Kabed et avicha ve'et imecha. Honor your father and your mother. And perhaps less known, perhaps even more important, we read in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 3, Ish imo ve'aviv tirau. Let every person revere their mother and their father. Honor and reverence. These two attitudes, approaches, sets of action and behavior, etc., provide the outlines of the ideal relationship between children and their parents. As is quite common in the Torah, there's what sounds like the legislation or the command, the mitzvah, to feel something specific, revere, honor, similar to the mitzvah, love your companion, your comrade, your friend, your neighbor, as yourself. Or a much harder one, do not be jealous. The rabbis of the Mishnah and the Talmud and beyond are wary of any mitzvah that requires a particular feeling to go with it. It's difficult, if not impossible, to tell someone to feel something. So a set of behaviors is articulated that will ostensibly or hopefully either express that emotion sufficiently or even lead to that emotion down the line. So the Talmud in Masechet Kiddushin on page 31b at the bottom says, Tanu Rabbanan, the rabbis taught, Ezehu Mora Ve'ezehu Kibud what is or which of the behaviors are reverence and which of them are kibud, are honoring? And then it provides a list. Mora, reverence. Lo omed bimkomo. The child does not stand in the parent's place, meaning if the parent had a particular place that they would stand in a gathering of the community, the child would not stand in the parent's place. Velo yoshev bimakomo, and they would not sit in the parent's place. Literally, if the parent has a chair in the house or at the table or a recliner or in the shul or in the community. Velo sotera devarav, and the child does not contradict the parent's words. Velo machrio, and also they do not indicate somehow that their parent is right in such a way that it implies that their parents need the child's confirmation in order for it to be known that the parent is right. Rashi explains, If the father and some other sage, some other wise person are disagreeing about something in a matter of halacha, the child will not say, 
the words of Plony, meaning my father, seem to be true, which would imply that the father needs the son to confirm that in order for the father to be seen as right. So you could wonder, and we will explore this further, what picture do those behaviors imply when taken together? To not stand in their place, to not sit in their place, to not contradict them, and to not act like they need you to confirm that they are right. What kind of outline of relationship is being articulated through those behaviors? And then the Gemara goes on to describe the behaviors that are included in the mitzvah of kibud, which includes providing food and providing drink, water, coffee, tea. It includes clothing. It includes covering, perhaps with a blanket to keep a parent warm. It includes machnis umotzi, to bring a parent somewhere and to bring a person away from that place. You can imagine this including the mitzvah of bringing a parent to a doctor's appointment or the like. So, which of these behaviors was that girl in the progressive insurance commercial not doing? She clearly contradicted her mother in public. She interfered in a conversation between her mother and another adult, which the Talmud thinks would be bad, even if they were saying, hey, mom's right, but here even where she is saying that mom is wrong. So have things changed? Does the nature of relationship between children and parents change over time? Is this just the way it is? And perhaps more importantly for our purposes, does the relationship between children and parents change when parents get older and children get older? Here we have a little nine or 10 year old girl who's kind of sassy. She drops the red challenge flag, but what happens when you're 50 and your parents are in their late seventies and early eighties? What happens when your parents become feeble? What are the ways that we provide reverence and honor for our parents as they get old, as they need us more and more, as we've had a lifetime to consider the ways that our relationships with our parents have affected us over time, made us who we are, as we've had a lifetime to observe our parents and to see where their own choices have gotten them? How do honor and reverence express themselves in the context of relationship between middle-aged and more people and their elderly parents in 5784 in the modern era? These are some of the questions that we're going to be exploring in this series. Looking forward. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.